rock stars from coast to coast we give you a toast as you listen to rutten radio on the real presence network i'm joe rutten host of rutten radio on the real presence network and i'm father paul and i'm father john and we are rutten Rutten radio We are brothers journeying through life and commenting on movies that provoke us to think, laugh, and pray. From cult classics to classics of faith, we hope you also find the movies we watch help you grow. Speaking of growing, I wish I would have done more of that. I'm short. But anyway, (laughs) uh, what have you guys been up to? Well, I have been growing. Oh, really? In what ways? Uh, Growing in uh, leadership and growing in... uh, mental strength and growing in uh, perseverance and growing in faith and growing in relationship with the Lord and growing in uh, relationship with my nieces and nephews. Oh, really? Yes. So I have participated in a basketball game again oh, wow. <laughs> and been skiing. Wow. Uh, so it's been fun just to see. And then what I noticed like, oh, this is where lots of people are. It was really good for me to like get a sense of where lots of people are, you know? At basketball games. At on the Saturdays. basketball games mm-hmm. on Saturdays and the ski slopes on Fridays. Yes. Or Mondays when you don't have school. Outstanding. Father Paul. Um, I'm juggling a few plates right now, but I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will keep them all <laughs> in the air. Uh no, it's just, you know, that time time of the year, there's just lots of things, plannings, meetings. Uh so just keeping everything up and running. Right, right. Well, I'm doing good. It's cold. I don't yes. like the the weather. Is I understand why people that can go south for a while. Yeah, even if it's fifty just for, degrees yesterday, it changed. Yeah. Did you notice yeah. that? Or wow. it wasn't yesterday. What was it? Yeah. A few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. No, it was, yeah. was forty eight yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Well, when everybody's listening to this, it's down the road. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Everybody, yesterday was the day when uh, it was ominous out. You know, you yeah, had that right. sense, and later afternoon, like something weird's happening. And I think 50 degrees had changed, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Right, Amazing. right. So for our listeners out there, uh, this is Rutten Radio, and we're a monthly podcast, and we air uh, our show releases drops on the first Wednesday of the month, but we do a little pre-recording. And so when we speak of the weather, it's not yesterday. As Who of, knows what it's going to yeah, be like. Yeah. That's true. It could be even could worse. could be even worse or better. Or and better. you might be listening to this on our podcast, and so it's like four years from now, and you, you just finally watched know. an awesome you movie, and you're like, I wonder what those know. awesome guys have to say about this movie. Or right. they could be listening from, like, Mexico. And be like, <laughs> yeah, in a totally yeah, yeah, different yeah, yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to us from Mexico, like hit us up on Facebook or something and let us know that you're drinking a Mai Tai in the sun, getting sunburnt while we're here with this beautiful, uh, balmy uh, 15 degree weather, I think, uh, here in South Dakota. So with that, you can interact with Rutten Radio on Facebook uh, on our page there if you'd like or listening to us, uh, as always, on Real Presence Affiliate Network Station and our your iPad apps. So what do we do here? Well, the first half hour, we do our movie of the month. And the second half hour, we grab a a theme and kind of elaborate further on that. So for the month of February, we've got a fantastic movie. I love February's movie. I can't wait to talk about it. The movie of the month for February is Cinderella Man. Father Paul, can you give us a little introduction and context? It's the story of James J. Braddock, a supposedly washed up boxer who came back to challenge for the heavyweight championship of the world. It's a true story, and thus, in all of the history of boxing game, you find no human interest story to compare with the life narrative of James J. Braddock. 
And had you ever heard of the story before the movie came out? No. 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 Um, and then the movie comes out and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it just makes me think how many stories are there out there like this? <laughs> you know, yeah. you just, know, and I'm sure that's all of our stories in some way, but, um, yeah, inspirational. What a great, great story it was. So any warning on content, it's, you know, it's, it's PG-13 maybe, and there's maybe a little brutality depending on what kind of person right. you are, but, uh, in general, it's a. You know, yeah. a PG-13 movie from 2005. Yeah, so, I probably mean, am different... not going to show it to my four-year-old. I don't need any encouragement for him to right. uh, do up. what he already does to his brothers. <laughs> Beat the tar out of them. <laughs> Punching and kicking. And uh, So, with that, let's uh, jump in. Initial thoughts to Cinderella Man. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a great story of determination and inspiration, uh, which I think we need uh, once in a while. I think the movie also did a good job of that, um, of really helping people understand, like, where does that come from? Like, where do you get this drive? And, um, and how your life can impact so many other people in a way. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was good. Father John? Yeah, the reality of um, the dignity of the human person, mm-hmm. it really comes through in this, and... Um, where someone resides on the socioeconomic level, like as Irish men ourselves, uh, we can't forget that it wasn't long ago that we were at the lowest level of the socioeconomic uh, mm-hmm. um, level. And so, and yet there's still within that a dignity. The other dynamic that uh, I found really helpful is to see the the beauty of marriage, even at that socioeconomic level. Like I think in many ways, um, you know, we live in an era of changing ideas about what the family is and the mother and father's essential role to everything. And even in difficulty, how they both support each other and how they both provide um, for their children in that environment. So found it to be uh, really enlightening in that realm. Mm. I uh, as well loved it. Um, the immigrant story is not, it's not like I don't play it up big time, but it is a part of the story, right? Yep. That he's not, you know, he's a part of that Irish class, the working class, really in some ways that built America, uh, dock workers and such. Um, the poverty of the dirty 30s, of the the crash, the stock market crash and the impact that that had on, on people. And I'm always fascinated by boxing as a way out for folks. Sure. That boxing is a sport of the poor. It's the sport of the class of people, whether they're Mexicans, uh, Irish, Polish, like African-Americans, like the rich English guy isn't a boxer. He plays cricket, <laughs> you know, or something like that. But that this, but boxing really is a way to elevate yourself in many ways um, out of your class and into a whole nother sphere or spectrum. And so I love boxing in that way. I think that it really like lifts up a whole nation of people. And what, what do they call him? The pride of New Jersey. And he's a fighting Irishman and mm-hmm. his titles surround this cultural identity that he has from his, uh, his Irish immigrant class. So I love that aspect of it. And, uh, you know, it's inspirational to people then. And it's awesome that hundred years later, it's still a story that inspires people today. Yeah. So. Insights and themes kind of 
you know, digging down a little bit, uh, somebody want to jump in and, and jump on a theme? I see a thing like John, you yeah. mentioned dignity or Paul. Well, or- one of the one of the main themes that I I wouldn't say it's a main theme. One of the underlying themes that I saw in it is uh, every circumstance can be of value. And you don't know how the things that you're doing now are going to am- impact you later. And when he, so in the story, uh, James is this boxer and he loses, right? Or he he comes out of favor, right? I don't remember at what point they stopped wanting him to- Well, when he to, broke his hand and couldn't fight. There you go. Okay, yeah, great. That's what it was. So he broke his hand, couldn't fight. They the, the like people behind the scenes don't want him around anymore. Right, because and, if you don't bring people in- then they're going to be making their money yeah. and uh, it's all going to yeah. fall apart. Yeah. So they're doing their thing and he had to live in front of that reality. He couldn't change the fact, you know, he could be angry at him. He could do whatever he wanted, but in the end uh, he had to live in front of that. But then he ends up at the docks. He's trying to get a job every day. You know, it's when you just show up every morning and they choose 10 people out of a hundred or whatever. And he gets chosen once and he has this broken hand. And so, when he's working, he has to work with his, is it his left, left hand, hand yeah. uh, to lift these bales. And he's working with this other guy. And there's a moment where, you know, he almost gets taken off the the job because they realize you aren't going to be able to do the work you want. And he's like, I'm doing it, you know, persevere. Uh, and in the end, how that came to aid him in his future success Right. Nobody could have ever put together uh, the importance of that, but the beautiful moment, this beautiful uh, triumphant return of this boxer that gives hope to so many people. It's really about the fact that when he was working on the dock, he ended up having to work with the opposite hand and it strengthened his hand. <laughs> and then he had a southpaw that really took them all by surprise. So, right. yeah, that 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 way of like never doubting that everything that's happening somehow can be put together and used for a good that you may not be aware of right now. That's interesting. I find that number one, that's about sight. You have to have a vision that sees reality, whatever the circumstances are, as being a part of God's plan somehow and working for the good. Number two. The actual interior mind and heart place where you can accept it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's wonderful to talk about as a leadership lesson. All things work out for the good. How God will use this. <laughs> How many times have you had somebody like look at, you know, put their fist on the table and be like, you just don't understand? <laughs> or like, you know, the, the, so there's well, that idea and then the reality. Well, and even James goes through that. Right when they're they're gonna say grace and he won't do it. Oh, that's right. Because he's mm. so angry at God. Yep. And he just can't pray to a God that would put him in this circumstance. So even he is wrestling with that idea of it, and and he's not aware that this is going to bring him back either. And I think this is this hard part, right? We want to be able to see that this is gonna actually tell me that this is gonna be worth it, and then I'll do it. But it's this ability to be surprised. That something I just endured and did, it actually did pay dividends. And so in those moments, I think when you can't figure it out, it doesn't make sense. Can I just pray for the grace to trust that there's something? Mm-hmm. And I may not ever see it, but there is something in every moment. Yeah. Right. In, that, well, in my own life, that's where I've experienced interior freedom. 
is when I'm able in my mornings, particularly, uh, to anchor in my morning, the ability to say, Lord, whatever your will is today, let me be at service to it. Um, whatever that is for good, for ill, whatever I happens might just help me to understand that it's for your good. And if it's not for your good, you can make it good in the end. Let's go. Um, and then like I wake up and get punched in the nose. (laughs) It's like, uh, you know, my kid wakes up and is, you know, peed the bed or, you know, and then he got, uh, uh, got to change the bed sheets or at least you got to get them off because you don't want the bed sheets sitting there all day while nobody's at home. And then you get them off and then you get the kid rechanged up, cleaned up, and then you get them dressed for school and then you get to school and then, oh, you get outside in your car, your kid left the light on in your car. So now your battery's dead. So you got mm. a dead battery in a car that's facing the wrong way in the garage. So you can't charge the stupid thing. And you're just like, Lord, it's Is this seven- hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say it's seven forty-five. Yeah, is this today? <laughs> you know, like it was not today. Oh. So that type of reality right. of saying, "All right, this is where I need Christ. Mm-hmm. This is where I need God's grace." But every once in a while, I'm capable of tapping into that place, and I know it. There's this interior freedom. There's this place that says, "Well, this is it." This is and my emotions don't like come crushing down on me and the world doesn't like get me all discombobulated, but it's just like, all right. And I think of like the monk that just kind of goes about their day. They just, you know, just slowly. So it's like, how come I can't do that out in the world? And it's like, well, we can, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so awesome. Father Paul thoughts, insights. Yeah. One of the ones that, I think was evident throughout it all is that idea of your dignity or your self-worth and, and, and where does it come from uh, and how does it drive you, you know, and even the differences, uh, you know, James versus his wife may and, and what they value and, and what's important to them. So we saw, you know, that James made that promise to his son. Hmm. It will never send you away. Uh, you know, and so to him, the idea of being able to keep his family together was the, the dignity or the self-worth that he needed. Whereas May was more concerned about their well-being physically. And so she was willing to ship them off because she knew that they would be able to be in a situation where they would be physically healthy. Um, you know, yeah, that's tough. But then he had to explain to her the promise he made, you know, against this idea, the need for the communication and being able to talk about uh, those things. And then when the kid steals the the sausage oh, yeah. and he takes it back and he says, we never steal no matter how poor we are. You never do that. But she stole the wood from that sign to heat the house. And so it's again, I this, missed it. It's a, this idea that here she is stealing wood from a sign theoretically, but in her mind, this was something that was okay to do, but I don't know. It's not her sign, <laughs> uh, but, but she needed to heat the house. And what do you do when you live in, you know, the city where there isn't woods uh, type thing. But again, that ability, like how they see it, like what, what is the line we don't cross? And, you know, uh, those kinds of things. Um, the fact that he had to go on the dole uh, mm. and get aid, but then he paid it back. All right. Yeah, wasn't that a something who who would 
do I mean right. who would do that? And and I also wondered like I think there's a virtue in that, but I also wondered like, is there a sense of uh at any point that he's willing to accept help? You right. know, so I thought it was virtuous that he did, but but there was a part of me that was like, Well, you're not a self made man. <laughs> but that's maybe another right. whole topic going along. Yeah, well, but it goes so he, into the question and we'll probably cover it in the next half hour. Is it, is aid meant to help you get to a place where when you can then pay back or pay into, then you would contribute to it uh, in a way that you understand that this isn't just uh, because you're incapable, but because you just have a need right now and we can help you. But I don't know. It was, but it was fascinating and everyone was shocked when he paid it back. Oh yeah. They were all watching at the, Tell her. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, you look at like the dignity side of it all, and he had a progression of dignity, of, of acceptance of his own day to the point where um, he wasn't, he was comfortable not even going back and fighting. He took the one fight with like, yeah, that's just the one fight, babe. Sorry. Nope. It is what it was. Mm -hmm. And he had moved on. His identity was no longer a boxer, right? He was doing it as a provider. Right. But it wasn't this this drive that boxing was more important than his family. It's that boxing provided a means by which he could support his family. and But then it turns around, and in the end, the Lord opens up a door, and it becomes a blessing and a gift and a grace and a place he walks back into. And next thing you know, he's the great James J. Braddock. And I'll tell you, fellas, very interesting you guys do know that your uh, your brother here has a nine-year-old boy that has gotten into card collecting again. Oh. Did you know that the most expensive of cards, Honus Wagner, is a tobacco card? They're about a third the size of a baseball card. Okay. Half the size of a baseball card, and they used to come in chewing tobacco pouches. And uh, there is a James J. Braddock. Really? 1931 oh, wow. uh, card. And I've been trying to get it, and I just can't get one for a reasonable price. But I will one day own a James <laughs> J. Braddock. And it's cool because they also have a Joe Lewis card. Well, oh, Joe sure. Lewis is who beats, beats him. And everybody back. knows who Joe Lewis is, yep. right? Nobody knew James. Uh, but J but Joe Lewis says, like, James J. Braddock, I think in the credits yeah. it says, James J. Braddock was, like, the most heroic or courageous something fighter that I faced. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, how crazy is it that this guy's attached to Joe? Like, these, this is a right. real yep. story. Right. You know, right. this one isn't made up. Um, but anyway, you can Google search uh, eBay, uh, James J. Braddock cards. And I'm telling you, fellas, they don't look like boxers. <laughs> yeah, and people the, have. I mean, they're like pudgy, pudgy folks. Like, there's no muscle tone. You're like, these guys are boxers. Like, people, Mike Tyson would crush all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but the progression of sports has yeah. uh, come to a point where now you actually spend your life devoted to training and executing the uh so anyways, uh one day I will own a James J. Braddock uh 1931. A tobacco card is is one of my goals, but so other thoughts, themes, you know, one thing that I really kind of looked at and I just thought, you know, his ability to, 
to like wrestle with his marriage and his family in a way that is healthy versus the other guy that, um, you know, just drink. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have to bury him. Right. Right. Don't they bury him? And it's like, I'm like, wow, there's even something there. Like when James J goes to, when Braddock goes to the pub with the guy and he has to get a water and the guy says, no, I'll buy you the pint. Right. I'll buy it. And he's like, oh, it's been a long time. Thanks. I'm just, wow. Like that's, that right there was more than just a scene to me. It was a representation that even though he's struggling, that he's a man of integrity, that he's a man of character, that he is a man that, you know, maybe didn't always do the right thing. Father was missing him at church. Yeah. I think I was like, James, I haven't seen you at church recently, right? And it was at the difficult times. Yep. But yet here he is still standing up for marriage and how a husband should treat his wife and how a man should treat a woman in public. And I just thought, you know, this would be a fascinating guy to have known. I don't know if there's any books out there, but it might be worth reading. He died recently. I mean, in the 70s, I think. Yeah, which isn't recent. years. Yeah, you're aging but, yourself. Boy, we're old. Yeah. We're getting old. Yep. Father Paul, how old are you? 48. Wow. Ooh. You're almost getting to be 50. Father John, when you said wow. Father Paul. This isn't become- like a podcast of a bunch of young pups, man. <laughs> We're like old seasoned. people. My, my, yeah. I looked at my beard today and I was like, my beard looks unusually white. There's too- Am I getting more white? Oh, man. Uh, here we go. Anyway. Uh, but just that idea that family is at the center of this whole thing, but you know, he's just trying to provide and whether it's as a dock worker or whether it was as a boxer, his objective was to keep his family together, was to provide for his family. Even if he had to go beg to turn the lights on in order to get his family back, he'd do that. And it reminded me, fellas, that we've got a mom That had this exact same experience. Oh, yeah. And that this is our story. Hey, I was turned on my car today. I have no idea how it happened. I just went in my car, and you know how phones are. What turned on? Not mom's podcast. Really? I mean, I have no idea. I've not been listening. I have a different podcast series I'm listening to. I listened to it last night. I know I was in my car. I don't know where it came from, but it when I got in there again this afternoon, it was the thing was on. I didn't have time to go change or figure it out. I don't even know where it came from. It's the <laughs> one where she's it's you and me and her. Really? Yeah. Oh. This morning. I've never I don't even I don't know if it was on the podcast or if it was on YouTube or I don't know where it came from. Gives me the the shivers, yeah. the like mom. the tingles. Mom. The <laughs> and mom. she was great. We oh, should yeah. have had her on more often. That's the only thing. <laughs> it was just yeah, a lot of yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of work <laughs> and embarrassing. <laughs> right. It, it was great after the fact. We look back now, we're yeah. like, man, that was all. Well, no, no, it wasn't necessarily. God yeah. love you, mom. Um, yeah. But that idea that this is a lot of people's families and how blessed we are that, you know, society has come along, our ancestors have come along, the Irish are no longer like the immigrant class or the down, downtrodden, or partly because of education, partly because of our Catholic faith. Um, but as I read it, I'm thinking, oh, all right, well, those dates kind of line up. Oh, yeah, that's that's mom. That's grandma and grandpa. Yeah, that's the poor North End. That's That's them showing up at the church asking for a handout, right? That's them not being able to contribute. That's mom... Grandma having to go pick up uh, kids at the 
hospital or at orphanages and different places like that. And so just that gratitude that I had for what our ancestors, many of you know our listeners out there, your ancestors went through to make it so that we have stability in flourishing today that I often take for granted. But I woke up this morning and thanked God for a hot shower. I was like, you know what? This is how, like, it's freezing, right? And so you get in the shower and you're just like, you just want that hot, hot. And it's like, man, I cannot imagine. I wouldn't take a shower. If I didn't have heat, hot water, I wouldn't take a shower. I'd be like, no way. That is really, <laughs> just those little things. Um, have, have either of you done Exodus 90? No. You know, they kind of take yeah, cold take showers, showers and yeah. take away a tree. And I'm like, oh, man. I want nothing to do with ascetical practices. <laughs> I like the comfort of, of my life. So, well, fantastic. As we kind of wrap up the first half hour here of Rutten Radio, you're listening to Father Paul, Father John, and the one and only Professor Rutten talking about James J. Braddock and the movie Cinderella Man. So, as we finish up, any following or kind of concluding comments or thoughts that you'd like to leave here in the first half hour? Yeah, uh, it really is one of those great underdog stories. Gives you hope about life and the possibility of it all, uh, and what what someone can do uh, to inspire others as well. Father John, yeah, I I think uh, there was a statement in there where it said um, they said uh, they all think Jim's fighting for them. Uh, and and I thought the priest said, uh, to to the wife when they when he went into the church and they were all the church was filled with people you know they all think James is fighting for them and it just kind of reminded me you know people like mom you know I had somebody in my office last week saying she prays to mom every time she goes to mass with Father Paul like help me like how did you do this like to our mom she doesn't know I mean I don't know. So like people mm -hmm. need someone, yeah. a sense of like, there's somebody that's fighting for me. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a sign of the saints, but not just the saints in the capital S, but like the saints, those people are living for Christ. Those people are carrying their crosses. Those people that are daily doing the drudge, like have a huge role in helping other people know like someone's fighting for me. And Amen. ultimately we see Christ. Amen. Well, to uh, our listeners out there, thanks for joining us here. We'll come back after a, a short break here. Uh, from our sponsors uh, as we wrap up the first half hour of Cinderella Man. And we pray that you might just think about and bring to mind those exemplars of character that bring you hope. Amen. Amen. We'll see you just after the break. And we're back with Rutten Radio on the Real Presence Network, your local and regional Catholic media network for all things awesome. You can catch us on Facebook. And as we jump into the second half hour of Rutten Radio, we begin with some shout outs. Who wants to kick off shout outs, Father Paul or Father John? You know what, Father Paul? You've got like, there's like an all star list of names. And I think like you have somebody that's like, that's an all star name right there. <laughs> So you started off first. <laughs> My, I don't know. So here's the funny thing. Like what I do is like someone will like tell me like, oh, I love your show. And then I'll say, oh, I'll give you a shout out. So then I just put it as a reminder. Mm. Well, Bronco Don, I can't remember exactly when or where we, where I told you I'd give you a shout out, but uh, Bronco Don. That is an all-star name. Yeah. Bronco Don. I love it. And so, Bronco Don is person? from where? Sioux Falls, Watertown, <laughs> Rome. 
I, th- I think it was Sioux Falls. So gotcha. they're going to have to, to, to touch base this with me again. This is awesome. I love so it. I can't random remember. Shout-outs. Could have been after church. I mean, like people will stop. It's crazy that people will stop and randomly be like, people oh, I love your show or, or I listen to your show. Uh, and then I'm always like, oh, I'll give you a shout out. So anyways. Still shocks me. Yeah. Father John. I have no shout outs. Oh, no shout outs. No. Oh I my know. Gosh. That's right. Sad. I'm, sure, I'm sure there's people who I could have, but uh, it's not on my list. I usually try and pay attention to. And instead of making something up just so that I'm right. not left out, oh. uh, right. I, I will say thank you to Josh Merrick for making a movie recommendation. Oh, oh yeah. So nice. love that. It'll be in next year's Because <laughs> <laughs> we got 2022 but, set. Uh, there's, so God bless. Awesome. Well, I'll give a shout out to John Paul Heber and John Conkey, who uh, one's from Weston and Springs, the other's from Florence. They're two farmers. Actually, they're cattle ranchers. Um, I know the one has cattle. Um, but they're just random farmers out there in the Great Plains of South Dakota, and they just love Jesus Christ. They love their Catholic faith, and they're just great dudes that have mm-hmm. been involved in ministry with me. So I awesome. thought I'd give them a shout-out. All right, let's rate our movie of the month here, uh, Cinderella Man. Out of three heads, rutting one, two, and three, would you give it uh, three for, like, the bomb perfect excellence like par excellence, 2.5, like really good, really good. It's not quite the Lion King, but it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I would say 2.5. 2.5. and Double what? that. Double. So 2.5, oh, 2.5. 2. Wow, wow, Joe? wow. I, you know, I'll be honest. I got to give it a three. It's <laughs> par excellence. Yes. There's no yes. movies that no, fits the no, top category. It's up there. Wow. Like right. Cinderella Man, wow. Gladiator, Braveheart. Yep. Right. I love Cinderella Man. Gets Who me was all I fired just up. talking to? Someone said that they, they listed those movies and these kids were like, what? Yes. And so then they were like, okay, we're having movie night. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, yep. So we are so two point six seven. Two point six seven. It's that a might, good thing. That might be our highest. That is rating. A great rating. I loved it. All right. All well, right. Let's uh, jump into the second half hour. Here we introduce our theme of uh, the month. Here for the second half hour, poverty. Yeah. Interesting topic, even coming out of Cinderella Man. There's a little poverty there in a multitude of different ways. So, uh, Father Paul, you kick it off with the scripture passage on poverty. So, why don't we go ahead and read about poverty from the scripture and take yeah. it from there? Yeah, I mean, I do think that poverty is an interesting situation, circumstance uh, that we find ourselves in, and, and I think about the moment when. The woman breaks the alabaster jar of perfumed oil. I mean, and it was like unbelievably expensive. Mm. Uh, and Judas is like, that could have been sold and given to the poor. Uh, and Jesus simply says, the poor you will always have with you, but I will not always be here. Uh, and so this real question of like, in this moment, Jesus didn't say, you're right. This should have been given. But he acknowledged that 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 we're always going to have the poor, and so how do we wrestle with that? Like, like what does that mean that we're we're always going to? I also think it's important uh, that we realize that poverty isn't always material poverty, uh, and that was also one of my uh, favorite moments when now Saint Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, uh, talked about America, and she said their poverty may not be quite so material like India it's spiritual Mm. and that's much harder to to cure (laughs) 
Right. You know, hundred uh, So there's material. There's emotional. Right. I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which we're poor, uh, or you know. And, and so, what do we do? How do we? Right. You know, is that okay? Uh, can we eliminate it? Right. right. This is the challenge I have in front of poverty. Number one, as you mentioned, as I first go to the material poverty, I think about m- m- poverty of uh, of basic necessities. Um, I'm not always as focused on the other forms of poverty, but once I get to the other forms of poverty, you begin to realize like Mother Teresa, like, yep, loneliness, uh, dignity, like loving yourself, um, attentiveness to others. Uh, what, right when you said it, you're like, what's the solution? Is it okay? Like, is the goal that nobody is materially poor? Is it like, what? You know, what do you, what's, where are we going here with this? And it's like, well, Christ says they're always going to be with us, but then he tells us to feed them. Like I, yeah, man, the idea of the utopian society has been the problem for many, not the problem. It's been the solution for many terrible regimes, right? We're going to mm. fix poverty yeah, and then destruction is wrought by the very regime and poverty caused by the very regime that's going to solve it. So it's like, gosh, I don't know, man, I'd really be hard pressed to say, let's get a political government to go after and fight poverty. doesn't always work out, but yet we do have a responsibility too. How does that play out in your own lives? Like where you, you say, boy, I have a responsibility here, but the likelihood is I actually can't cure this thing. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that that's the case. If I'm just really honest with myself, I think that's kind of been an excuse of mine to actually not do anything. So what's the excuse? Um, that, that there's, that I'm not going to cure it or like there's many forms or like right. the truth of the matter is I don't serve the poor. Right. And the truth of the matter is the gospels are like riddled with the poor and it's <laughs> riddled with saints in the history of the church that are serving the poor. And I don't do serve the poor. I'm it's a farce, like to think that I like once a you year, know, once a year, or twice yeah, a I mean, year, I go, you go to down banquet, to the banquet, you know, and then I have friends with them, and then I preach as if like these people are really my friends, and they, you know, and I'm I'm partly like just trying to be honest with myself, like, and the reason that I say this is um, when I do work with the poor, it changes me, and I know the good it is, and I know that like I am called there, but it really is a call. It's not like volunteer. It's not community service in the way that we often serve the poor. I don't think many people serve the poor. So it's not like I'm different than, I think we live in a sort of a culture that has things pretty well, um, but we don't have to touch up against things that aren't refined. You know, we're in a world that every YouTube video we watch is clean and crafted and nice and neat. uh, And to have something that has frills and edges and rough. So I just think about like Mary Jo Copeland in the Twin Cities, um, who like, I mean, has huge faith and she's super close to the poor. I mean, she's fighting all the legislators, all the people that want the place cleaned up for the twins. You know, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm like, boy, the Bishop Dudley house is like right in the center of downtown, you know, like increasingly it's going to be lots of, you know, I'd love to be like Mary Jo Copeland and be fighting for them and be, you know, and part of me is like, well, no, it kind of makes sense. Like it's out of, economic growth will, will, slowly yeah, come around totally. all of that. And, and so like be to be the- with them and, you know, I mean, when you go down there, it's like mm-hmm. riveting. I mean, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm comfortable. Here. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, but when I was in Chicago, I went and 
tutored inner city kids in math and stuff. And I just, when, when I do those things, it's so beautiful or to go to nursing homes and not like Prince of Peace, but like to go to the nursing home where people really are alone and without people and it stinks and, you know, I don't know. I just am really, and then I'm changed. I walk out of there. I'm so grateful every time. I mean, I I guess now that I'm talking about it, I probably serve the poor more than I give myself credit for. But you know what I mean? It's oh, yeah, different. Yeah. It's there's something beautiful in it. I remember it's like going a to taste a ner- of you know? uh, grace, or just you walk away and you're like, my life is so blessed. Right, and so this is why Francis says, "Smell like the sheep." You know, you know, in a sense. Uh, I remember the first time I went to an elderly home that wasn't nice, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh man, I would never want my loved one or myself." To be here. And then my wife, who works in healthcare and in all of these systems, was says, Well, Joe, that's most of them. Like these are not great places that like there's one, there's like one, one of them that everybody wants to go to. Like this is if you have money, this is where you go, and it's amazing. Right. And then there's two other ones where it's like, yeah, they're pretty good. And then after that, Joe, like, no, you don't want to go here. And loneliness is an epidemic in them. Right in their beauty, a lack of beauty, and so all. So then it brings in this poverty that says, "Well, wait a minute. We're not just talking like material poverty here. There's this is a this is a poverty of spirit too. There's like a a dullness, a a, a drab, a, a sucking of the human spirit in some places. Not just nursing well, homes, that's but interesting that you get to the same. Th- that's interesting that what you start with with poverty of spirit." ends up being the same thing when you go through the poverty that if you're, if you're poor in bodily things, you're very likely also suffering from the Western poverty of it's possible. It's possible. I remember in one study that I was researching, they said that, that global poverty, uh, there's a tendency within global poverty where the people know that they're born to be, of help to another. And so every child knows that their objective is to help in a way that contributes mm-hmm. to their parents and the family. That is not the way Western, at least in my yeah. experience, the way we're, we're raised, right? That my job is to contribute back to my parents being capable of supporting the family as a whole. And I think it really creates uh, an isolation. It really creates a poverty of, of personhood where you're an island. We raise everybody thinking that like total independence is the goal of life. That's not the way a lot of the world is raised. They're raised as a compete as a as a solidarity, as a unit together. And so they're in it together. They have hope together. They're even if they have poverty materially, they have each other in a way that says, I'm in this with you. And I think for for I think it's the breakdown of the family that's at the heart of it all. That we really have a def- defragmentization of a compartment. Where we bring children into the world without the primary unit that gives spirit and life, the nuclear family. So, and that's what Mother Teresa is kind of digging at a little bit here. Is you know, you guys got some poverty problems over there. They're not like Calcutta. You got other problems that you need to kind of start wrestling around. And I got Paul. I I got that same quote that you were talking about. I actually I was like couldn't get it out of my head. I was like, what does she actually say? And. The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. And it reminded me of that video, you guys. Remember that video on human experience? 
uh, where there's those two brothers in New York that go on these, these three in one of them, there's a homeless lady on the street. And then there's like some cats or dogs that are feral out there on the street. And people stopped and picked all of the dogs up and left her. What? Yes. And she says in the video, it was cold in New York city. And so they were, they were coming by to get the dogs because they didn't want the dogs to freeze to death. And they said, and they left left me. No. Yes. Yeah. It was, and immediately I thought of that when I I read this book. Here we are. We're leaving the people on the streets, right? We can cure physical diseases, Mother Teresa says, with medicine, but only the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. It's like, yeah. wow, that's like brutal. So as of, Christians, what's our response? Love. Yeah, I mean, again, I, it is love. I think, again, it's this interior relationship with Christ asking, where am I called to love? Again, Mother Teresa would say, start with your family. Um but how do you then like look around and say, what can we do? Um, you know, is there a way that as a unit, we can either invite people in or go out? Um, but yeah, I mean, are we in an age in which safety plays a factor that culture is more dangerous today than Maybe it used to be that it's harder to be open. Yeah. I mean, uh, what do you mean by that? I'm not. Well, to just take somebody in. Well, is that safe? Uh, Is it safe to, you know, bring your kids to these places? Like we really do worry about. um, I don't think it was safe in the seventies when Jeffrey Dahmer was hitching rides, but people still did it. And eventually they're like, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. Right. Well, or even our own cousins used to hitchhike. Right. You know, so there, there is that. Um, what the thing that I, what I feel like is, you know, and not to get into all the politics, but the 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 U.S. government, you know, did the war on poverty, and we sort of offloaded our responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it's say go- more what that. It's looks the like government's job, so I pay taxes, and those taxes provide aid services and services for the poor. So I no longer have to do them mm-hmm. or feel responsible because some someone else is taking care of them. Um, and we think that that's going to work. So we create low-income housing, uh, you know, or we create these things and we think, well, that's the solution. And if we just, you know, but the, the poverty, there's more to it than just, you know, they need a, a place to live. They need the dignity that helps them. You know, I remember listening to a podcast and the guy said, uh, to have generational low-income housing is a sign that it's not working. Mm. It should never pass on to the next generation. That we should somehow help them out, you know, whatever that looks like. James J. Braddock. Right, right. So for, again, for us, well, what is our responsibility? What is it that we can do? You know, how do we help someone? Um, 
I guess I just think about the, you know, the various ways in which, you know, mom and dad took people in, uh, you know, the, the people needed a place to live for a, a temporary time. Uh, we had extra rooms or <laughs> sometimes didn't, but, um, and the number of people that have way more room, mm -hmm. uh, but again, safety, you just don't take some stranger into your house. Uh, but yeah. And even, even, uh, maybe poverty or like the sacrifice it takes of time for us to really give our life for the sake of like what Christ would want to do. And maybe sometimes our lives are ordered in a way for our own fulfillment or our own time. I mean, you know, I go skiing on Monday or like, what's the balance between what, what is my time to like for enjoyment and recreation and what place does being close to the poor play? I also think there is the reality that, that trying to assess the mental illness that takes place. And so some of it isn't just that someone is poor, but they, they are mentally unstable. Well, there is, a, I think, a real reality that, like, like they actually need real medical care and help as well. It's not just enough to let them stay at my house. Um, and then the ability to, to try to help them understand that they're, there is a responsibility as well. Uh, you know, I'll still never forget the uh, <laughs> the American Ninja Warrior story of the kid who was homeless, and so he was back living with his parents because he just couldn't get on his feet. All the while, he built an entire ninja course in the backyard. But he just, his mom's like, well, he just can't quite get things going. And I'm like, no, no, he really can. He just isn't motivated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but here she's like, well... He has to live with us because, you know, and I'm like, and then he built a ninja course in your backyard and you didn't have a problem, like construction, maybe he could get a job, yeah. but this ability, like, okay, like, you know, all those people that lived with us, they all had jobs. Uh, they really were coming there for a place to belong, uh, to have a sense of self-worth and community, but they were also working on getting out of our house too at the same time. So I don't know, mm -hmm. except yeah. for the, well, that was, I was yeah. going to say, except for the ones that died, but that would, that, that would require context right. <laughs> Our yeah. uncles who were yeah. sick or aunts who were sick and came and would spend their final days there. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe in some way, what you're speaking into, um, is the complexity of the situation and it is easy to offload it. Mm -hmm. Um, even on the church, you know, I was struck, uh, this last Advent, we always do the Advent baby shower. And um, at the diocesan level or bishop or somebody mm -hmm. decided this year that we aren't doing it. And I thought it was really important that they gave the reason why is because everybody does these things in their parishes and then they send all the stuff up to the cathedral. And then the cathedral is responsible for distributing all of these things to people who are in need and poor. And the response was, look at your local level. What are the needs of your community and do something on a local level? And I thought, wow, now that's touching on this mm -hmm. idea of whether it's the government or the church, it can be easy to offload it. And then as, as hard as it is to see people struggle, sometimes we want to take away this, the apparent we want to take away our wrestling with the, the wound by saying, well, we, we created this. We created this plan or this program or this structure, or this, you know, uh, as opposed to like, maybe it is true. They'll always be with you. So like stop creating a system that you think 
will make them never be with you and be with them. And whatever way you're called to, and we can each do it in our own ways. Maybe some people are called to just be more present at nursing homes or. We've all been given gifts, right? Two weeks ago, I think was the scripture reading about, you know, we all have different gifts and Mm -hmm. uh, the Lord blesses us with different circumstances and our neighbors, right? Our neighbors who closest subsidiarity, the principles of subsidiarity is, you know, start closest to home and then work your way out uh, from there as Christ calls you, you know, couple of things as we begin to wind down here. we got a few minutes left as we finish up this hour of February's Rutten Radio movie of the month with Cinderella Man, and it kind of extracted poverty as the conversation here for the second half hour. One is I have found that oftentimes we don't ask the poor what they want. We just assume that they need something and we give it to them. Um, for instance, uh, at the cathedral, or at the banquet in Sioux Falls, there are a lot of people there that aren't going there for the food. Well, they're going they're, there for the for right. the community. Yeah, they because they that's their the family. Yeah. Yep. You they don't want to eat alone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They that's, what? They don't need. They alone. don't want to eat alone. Oh, oh. And that assumption got me in trouble once. As the, you know, can I get you? No, that's my, that's my family. He's like, no, I'm not going over there to eat. I'm just going over there to say hello to Jack. Oh, all right. Ah, interesting. So we don't even know what their needs are sometimes and we're trying to meet their needs. Right. Uh, and then the second thing is, you know, and it plays a little bit into Paul's thing about like mental health, um, addiction, um, a variety of reasons. Some people choose to be on the street even, right? I mean, I think you guys know one of them. Uh, Father, uh, Uncle Joe. Um, but that if really, if it's material poverty we're talking about, the simplest analogy I have found is that helping can hurt when helping hurts. When helping helps, it's a hand up or, or you know, it's a lifting up. And it's the simple parable of the fish. Teach a person to fish, you know, you teach them, you feed them for a lifetime. And as far as I know, the way that we teach people to fish in our circumstance here is through employment, it's through through a job, through a place where they earn a wage, and that requires some sort of skills or participation or access to a to a, a network of friends that can get them a job. But if you want people to be able to provide for themselves, employment, small business, economic principles, I propose and believe, are at the heart of alleviation of poverty, locally and globally. And I don't always think that we look at economics as the place to solve poverty, but I think James J. Braddock got out of poverty through employment. Now it was as a boxer, right? Right. Well, now then he, he went on to work manual start, labor. Started a company. He started a company and built a bridge. Like he bought a house and, you know, contributed and, and didn't need to go back to the welfare office or he didn't need to go beg for money from his friends. Now, is that everybody's circumstance? No. But that is one group of, of people that need help. We need to talk, listen, find out what it is that they need, and then seek to offer them solutions. And a lot of times it comes down to employment. And if the government does the work for them, then it doesn't sort through the kid that sits at mom's house and builds a playground set in his backyard. Meanwhile, he should be out working and earning his own keep. That is the challenge that I find personally is sorting through what the causes are and then coming up with the solution. So poverty. Have you guys ever missed a meal? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, when I, I wanted to not. eat? 
Yeah. I mean, I, not I've been hungry like I wanted to eat, <laughs> but I couldn't get it yet or something, you know. But you've no, never. No, uh, I've never. No, I've never. Had, I mean, had hard you know, poverty. I have no concept. Like, I, I, and I don't, and, you know, and again, it's like, okay, does that, you know, does that exclude me then from being able to understand the plight per se? Or, you know, should I feel guilty? You know, yeah. And I would say maybe this is where one part I would always try and keep in play in all of this is that in the end, it's um, there's something good for me in it. Like mm -hmm. it's not about eliminating it in in a way like, but serving it. Like mm -hmm. I need the poor in my life. Like I don't care what system anybody decides to right. do. I do think we should pay attention. Those that are gifted to do those things. Right. Um, well, why don't we say a prayer here for all those out there in poverty and the multitude of different ways and lift them up as we pray our family prayer. Our Father, Father we, we thank, thank you for your love and for your many blessings, especially for the precious gift of each other. Help us to show our gratitude by loving each other as you love us. Make us understanding and patient with one another, quick to admit our failings and ask forgiveness, generous in sharing the joy and strength we can give each other. Father, give our family lively faith and the courage to share with those around us. Direct us to the state in life you plan for each of us and help us to use your gifts to serve you. We entrust our family to your fatherly care. Preserve us from the corruption of the modern world and help us draw closer daily to you and to each other until we come to share with you the joys of heaven. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, help us to be a holy family. Amen. We'll see you next month right here at Rutten Radio on the Real Presence Network.